everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Sunny Mary Meadow podcast. I'm your host, Liz Fiddler. And once again, thank you so much for listening. Today, we are going to do a bloom and grow episode, which means this is focused not so much on growing flowers and flower farming, but just on grief in general. If you want to or feel inclined to go back to one of the or the previous Bloom and Grow episode where I talked about what my goals for the Bloom and Grow part of this podcast, I think that would be helpful just to find out kind of the background and where I'm coming from. But I'll do my best if you just jump in and start with this episode. You can probably figure out what's going on, but there might be some bombs dropped if you don't really know what's happening, although I think most people do. So My husband died in December of 2020. He died two days after our first daughter, or our only daughter at the time, had turned three. And we had been trying to get pregnant for over a year at that point. And it was very frustrating because our first daughter, it took over 18 months, and we ended up getting pregnant on my own. But then I found out I had Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune disease that attacks your thyroid. And I knew that I had problems where I ovulated super early, and they still, well, you know, you don't have a history of infertility. And I'm like, well, my endocrinologist literally said, and again, I'm a nurse practitioner. So I tried to explain, my endocrinologist literally said he's very shocked that I was able to get pregnant on my own without any fertility because of when I ovulate and can we just speed this up a little bit and nope, nope, there's rules and you got to go through this process. And that October was the earliest I could get into the class and I literally had to sit in a classroom where they talked about sperm meets egg and how to get pregnant. And again, I'm a nurse practitioner. Like I just, it was so frustrating. It was during COVID. Usually the spouses are supposed to come. They couldn't come. I had to take a day off of work to do that. I sat in the back row and I cried and I was so mad. I was so mad, just tears of frustration, trying not to look at the teacher because I actually know her very well. And I wasn't mad at her, but I just I was so mad just having to be there. I was mad that I wasn't pregnant. It was, if you've ever gone through infertility, you know it exactly what I'm talking about. You feel like a failure. And then to have to sit there with a group of women that you know nothing about and this very vulnerable thing about you is just clearly exposed that, oh, hey, you're you're sitting there with your barren womb too. How's your barren womb? My barren womb's, you know, here. And it just, it sucked so bad. So that was in October, and I remember coming back to the farm. My husband was working from home, and I think I picked up Vidalia from daycare, or maybe she was here. I think it was a Tuesday, so we actually didn't have daycare that day. I don't remember the details, but for whatever reason, my aunt was here. And she was just outside, because again, it's during the peak of COVID lockdowns, you know, the second big wave in Minnesota, so that fall. You know, so we were just sitting outside, and it was a really nice, sunny October day, probably 60 degrees, and I just remember crying and telling her like I just want a baby and this sucks and she's like what are the next steps and I told her how it was this big classroom and I had just listened to this lecture and like trust me I've been taking my temperature I've been tracking I've been I've been doing everything and I I'm just mad all right so then the next steps were a diagnostic procedure and ultimately they did it's called a fem view and they inject this dye into 
my fallopian tubes and make sure that they're open and then they can see for sure what's going on. And it's all diagnostic because they have to work you up for infertility about why you can't get pregnant. And they found that this was on, you know, it has to be on certain cycle days. And mine was on cycle day eight, I think. And they were like, oh yeah, you already ovulated. And they did blood work and all of these things. And so then, yep, the OB was in the room and she's like, yeah, you, your eggs are so tiny when you ovulate that there's, it's just not a chance for it to be viable. And so we know that I ovulate super early. I had a 21 day cycle instead of 27, 28, you know, and anyway, so we finally got to the bottom of that. Well, then to actually start the treatments and start the meds, they used to just give you a med called Clomid and good luck and hopefully you don't have triplets. Well, now they do a medication called Letrozole, which is very similar. And I'm not going to get into all of the nitty gritties of infertility, but just know that there were certain labs that had to be taken on certain days of my cycle. And they were like, yeah, we'll get you started on the next month. And I was like, heck no, I am supposed to get my period in three days. I am not waiting another month. I'm not, I'm not doing that. And this is where I feel terrible as a nurse practitioner because I'm sure my patients are listening like, oh my God, you're, you're so terrible. Like I, you would never let me do that because I wouldn't let my patients break the rules. But I was, they always say nurses are the worst patients. And so I just know too much. So like I said, I, I knew the person who ran the class. And so I just got a hold of her and I said, okay, what labs do you need? And on what days? Because I'm about to get my period and I am not missing this chance to take the meds this cycle. I'm not going to wait. And I said, I will find someone to order the labs. I have a clinic full of partners that will gladly order them for me and we're going to do it. And she's like, okay, you need to check your LH and your FSH and blah, 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 blah on cycle day two. And it has to be done on cycle day four. And then we have to have you coming in for an ultrasound and, you know, cause we're not going to let you trigger shot and release if you have three big viable eggs, because then you probably have triplets. And if they split, then you end up with six babies. And anyway, I understand all of that, but I was like, okay, you know, I know you're mad and I know you can't stop me from doing this. So I'm just going to do it. And so I, I basically budged in front of the line. Um, I wouldn't say I budged in front of the line. I didn't take anyone else's spot. I just got things got things moving more quickly. And so I was able to start the medication to basically delay my ovulation and get my egg, my one egg bigger. And then I had an ultrasound and they made me come back like two days in a row. They're like, oh, it's not quite as many millimeters as we want it and you need to do it again. And okay, in 36 hours or whatever it was, you will take this shot and it came in the mail on ice. It showed up at 9 p.m. the night before I was supposed to take it at 7 a.m. I gave myself a shot in my office at work or 7.30, I think. And 36 hours later, we had to, well, you know what we had to do. Um, Anyway, so I'm not going to go into details about that because that's very awkward. But ultimately that was on the trigger shot was on a Thursday morning. And this was my this was my first chance at treatments. You know, it, it had been a frustrating journey. Definitely not as frustrating as some, but definitely way more frustrating than it should be. Again, if you go back to the previous Bloom and Grow episode, you know what happens next. That following Monday, our daughter turned three. That following Wednesday, my husband died of a heart attack. And then on the 15th, um, that Monday, we had his funeral. Initially... You can't take a pregnancy test, they say two weeks, because that shot, that injection that I did is actually the pregnancy hormone that released my eggs. And if I took a urine pregnancy test too early, it would be positive, no matter what. It would be a false positive, or maybe it's a real positive, but I obviously did not want to take a test 
I'd have myself thinking I was pregnant when I really wasn't or whatever. So I didn't want to take it too early. But scientifically, everyone that I talked to, and of course, my OB and my fertility doctor and... uh, Some of my best friends are also doctors. I have a friend who's a trauma surgeon who's like, let me call my friend at Cleveland Clinic. And, you know, my uncle's a GYN surgeon and they're all, you know, and we're just like figuring out how soon can I take this test and we can say, okay, this is accurate. You know, what is the science behind all of this? And what is the half-life of this drug and pharmacy? And ultimately everyone was like, I think on Monday. I'm like, I cannot do it the same day of the funeral. Nope. Nope. I will do it on Tuesday morning. Like, let me, let me get my husband buried. Let me get through this. Let me talk at his funeral. Let me hug the people. Let me, let me get him in the ground. And then we'll worry about if I'm pregnant. And so the next day I woke up and I shouldn't even say I woke up because I don't think I slept at all. Hadn't slept at all in like five days. And my mom took me to the clinic. And at the time you could not have a guest or a visitor with you for an appointment, but you know, the person screening for COVID obviously saw probably the look of, I I don't even want to know what I looked like at that point. I had a mask on, but I'm sure my eyes were bloodshot, probably doesn't even cover it. And she just stared at me and she's like, do you have an appointment? And I just said, I pointed at my mom and I said, we both have appointments. And she's like, oh, okay. And just let us come in, which I mean, you could not sneak a visitor in there, you know, but she just let us go. So we walked over to the lab and I went to go check in and my mom just kind of stood in the back. And of course, the first thing that the receptionist or the hawk at the desk said, you know, tell me your name and date of birth. I told her and she said, you're here for a lab appointment. I said, yep. And she goes, okay, I just got to verify some information. Is your emergency contact still Josh? And I lost it, obviously started crying. And she knew she said something wrong, but she didn't know what she said. And I said, no, he's dead. And then I just stared at her. And then I saw her eyes like move on the computer screen. And she saw that I was there for a pregnancy test. And it was terrible. And she just kind of went, okay. And like, didn't ask me for a different contact. Didn't, we we didn't do any of that. So then we walked in and again, my mom is just kind of hanging out in the lobby because she can't, she definitely can't go in the back of the lab with me. And I sat down and I'm just sobbing, like cannot stop crying, like hyperventilating crying. And this really, really nice, I'm going to say a young kid, he's 20, comes up to me and he's like, hi, you know, and I just looked at him and I said, I just spilled it all. I said, here's the deal. You're going to take a blood test to find out if I'm pregnant with my husband's baby and his funeral was yesterday and just do it. And there's no way I'm going to stop crying. So just, just get it over with. And he was like, okay. So he did that took the blood. And then when I came back out to the lobby, by now it's like 730 in the morning at a really, really, really busy clinic. And everyone's just, you know, there's a ton of specialties there and everyone's just walking around as if they're just going on with their day. Like it's a Tuesday, you know? And I just looked at my mom and I was like, and and we were trying to walk faster. And I just looked at her. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? Like, don't they know that the world stopped? The world stopped spinning and they are just continuing on. What is wrong with these people? And it it was so weird to me that my world as I knew it was over and it was just a Tuesday for them. So we came home and I have access to log into my own chart. 
I can log into my own chart from home. I cannot log into my children's chart. I couldn't log into my husband's chart. That's a HIPAA violation of privacy and it's tracked and I never have done that, but I can legally log into my own chart. So that's what I did. And I hit refresh, refresh, refresh over and over again, waiting for that lab result to come back. So there are two types of blood tests when it comes to pregnancy. There's a quantitative test and there is a qualitative test. So qualitative means yes or no, you are pregnant or you are not pregnant. That is the pregnancy test that you take at home. Whereas a quantitative test is a number and it's your, it's the HCG hormone level. And ultimately there's different levels of, you know, what it's going to be at. And you can tell kind of how many weeks someone is based on this, but ultimately you need a dating ultrasound. Everyone's got a little bit of that hormone, but the the screen, the test will always say less than 2.4 if you're not pregnant. So my number was 16.2, which means I was literally barely detectable pregnant. I think they figured I was three weeks and one day at that point, which, yep, based on my ovulation. And it's tricky to figure out a due date because you couldn't really go by my last period because of the medications to delay the ovulation, but it was 16.2. So for a second, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm pregnant. I'm so happy. And my my sisters and my mom were sitting in the living room and my brother-in-law, Cade, and you know, we were all just like, oh my God, oh my God. And then you know, for just a second. And then all of a sudden like panic hits and I'm like, well, I'm going to have a miscarriage. I haven't slept in five days, like whatever. And that was it. Like that was, that was the only like excited about it, anything. And then what you can do to make sure that the pregnancy is viable and doing well is you check it. It should double every 48 hours. And so two days later I went in again and it was 42. So it went from 16 to 42. Okay. Four days later, I went in again and checked the level. It was 212. So at that point, it should have quadrupled from 42. It should be at least 170, and it was 212. And then two days later again, it was 544. So it doubled again. So now we're at December 23rd. He died December 9th. My OB called me then because she was not the one ordering these labs. It was... I I was getting friends to order them for me. And she calls me and she's like, okay, Liz, that's enough. That's enough. Like, this is good. It's doubling, but you are barely four and a half weeks now at this point and whatever it was ended up being. And so she's like, we're going to order an ultrasound, make sure that it's not in a fallopian tube or an ectopic pregnancy and just make sure it's embedded in the uterus the way it should make sure that there's a sac, make sure it's viable. We can't hear the heartbeat yet or anything, but that's what we're going to do. And so, okay, I ended up going home to my parents' house for a few days for Christmas. You know, I will talk about a whole episode, everything else that I was doing (laughs) during that. But again, we're sticking with the pregnancy right now. And so I did the ultrasound and I ended up bringing one of my best friends, Sarah, with me. She's Vi's godmother and she was trying to be very Josh-like. And so she was like trying to hug me and trying to, you know, just be supportive in there. And I just was like, Josh would know not to touch me. Why are you touching me right now? Yeah. And so, yep, we found out I was pregnant. Yep. Okay. It's positive. And then I think maybe two weeks later, we did another test. And two weeks later, we did another ultrasound. And finally, after that was when my OB said, okay, that's enough. You're special, but you're not that special. You know, this pregnancy is fine. I guess before that, they asked if at 12 weeks, I wanted to do all of the genetic testing. And I think I said, 
I think I looked at my OB and I'm about to drop an F-bomb. So I apologize to anyone that offends. But I looked at her and I said, I'm fucking done with surprises. And she's like, okay, we'll do all the testing. And she's like, are you going to find out if it's a boy or girl? And I was like, do I need to repeat myself? And she's like, okay, okay. So I ended up meeting with perinatology at that point. Josh's autopsy was not back yet. And it... That's a whole other episode. It took over three months to find out that, yes, he did, in fact, die of a heart attack. We figured he did, but the way he was laying on the ground after being on the treadmill, maybe he slipped and hit his head and had a hemorrhage. I don't know. Lots of things were, you know, going through our minds at that point. But we, yes, he did indeed die of a heart attack. And so I met with perinatology, made sure everything was fine genetically. And then, you know, they said we'll do some more advanced ultrasounds around the 20-week mark. But otherwise, no, you don't. You don't have to worry about that. So then at this point, I'm about 12 weeks pregnant and hardly anyone knows my closest friends, my closest family, Josh's sisters. That was about it. Again, I was just gradually starting to tell people, but my mom asked me, she's like, when are you going to tell other people, you know, like my aunts and uncles and, you know, just her coworkers or, you know, just the people were asking, how's Liz, how's Liz, how's Liz? And I just looked at her. I was like, I'm not going to tell anyone. It's fine. She's like, what do you mean you're not going to tell anyone? I'm like, no, it's just, I don't think that there's a need to tell anyone and I'll just have the baby and nobody needs to know. And she just kind of went, okay. And didn't really say much about that. And then luckily this is why you need all kinds of friends. And one of my best friends is 15 years, my senior. It makes her sound super old. She's not that old, but she is my mentor, both professionally and personally. And I'm sure she's listening and I love her for this, but She helped me think rationally through this. She's like, here's the deal. She goes, Liz, people think that a pregnancy is nine months. Josh died December 9th. Your due date is August 27th. Nine months from December 9th is August 8th. People are going to think it's not his baby. And I got so mad at her when she said that. And I'm like, what do you think? I was having sex with someone the night of the funeral. And she's like, I didn't say that, obviously. She goes, but but people don't understand that 40 weeks is 10 months, not nine months. But again, if they do that math, like you're going to be a rumor that's flying around. People are going to see your belly. You can't keep this a secret. Like none of the nurses at the clinic knew I wasn't back to work yet. Um, I took FMLA, but you know, like she said, she's like, you can't keep this a secret. And she goes, plus, are you sure? Like, don't you, maybe you can be the one who sets it straight and sets that narrative. And you know, she's like, I don't know what that looks like, but just keep that in mind. And I was like, crap, this sucks. And so once we hit 13 week mark, we meaning me and Davey, my baby, (laughs) I ended up posting it on Facebook and it was so, so hard. And if I look back at that picture, I just saw it the other day because it popped up on my Facebook memories because it's February. It was like, I was this shell of a human and I was trying to smile and I don't even know why I was in the picture. Like, why can't I just take a picture of the ultrasound? Like, why did I feel the need to hold this ultrasound picture and pretend like I'm smiling and pretend you know, like, and of course I'm happy that I was pregnant. Of course I was excited. Of course I was blessed. Of course I was, you know, all these things, but like, this is really freaking hard and I'm really, really heartbroken. But I, I hated the idea of A, anyone thinking that it wasn't Josh's baby. But I think most people are smarter than that, at least I hope. But I also just hated the idea of being the source of enjoyment of people's juicy gossip. Like, oh, did you hear the news? Oh yeah, Liz's husband died. Did you hear she's pregnant? What? Like, 
nope, I'm going to just drop that bomb. I'm going to take away that amount of joy and I'm going to burst that bubble, that chance that someone gets to be that gossiper. And so that was what I did. I was like, I'm going to tell everyone at once. So then it's old news and everyone finds out about it and nobody gets the pleasure of telling someone else about it and being the first to know, like everybody finds out at once. So I posted it on Facebook and then I put my phone away. I think I deleted Facebook off my phone and went down for brunch with some of my best friends in the cities with my daughter. And then on the way back, we went to Josh's cousin's house and I took her snowmobiling with him and they had seen it on Facebook and they were like, um, and I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. I'll check it later. And they're like, okay. And I was like, I just had to get out of my house. And truly I had to get out of my house because I knew this would happen. Um, people mean well, no one, no one like came into my house, especially with COVID. But when I got back that next evening, there were like 10 gifts on my front porch. And it, it, like I said, people mean well, but it's like teddy bears. And like there was a onesie that said miracle child. And someone brought a bottle of wine, which I'm thinking they probably didn't see the Facebook message. But I mean, it was very, very generous. And I appreciated those gifts that people left me on my front porch, especially like kind of after this and just all of a sudden people would bring over meals or something. It's like, oh, this is actually really nice. Thank you. But at the time I was like, I don't want to pretend like I'm not home, but I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't. mm." And so we just left and I came back and yep, my front porch was full of stuff. And again, people mean well, they don't know what to do. They're trying to be helpful, but I just wanted to get out of there. And then the next day was when I opened up my Facebook. It had a thousand likes or whatever. And I started reading the comments and it, it was hard. I didn't expect it. You know, so many that were saying like, I'm so happy for you and congratulations. And it's like, what? Literally not even two months ago he died. And like, I just thought it was a really weird thing to say, but what, what were people supposed to say? So the truth is there was no winning. Some people wrote, of course, the good ones don't stick out. I should go through and reread them, but, and I actually will do that here. But you know, the truth is there was no winning, no matter what people said, it, 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 I would have been upset. And so it's like, okay, at least, at least acknowledging that now, like, Hey, okay. Yeah. I didn't like what people were saying, but turns out they could have given me a million dollars and I would have been mad about it. The things that really got to me were when people said like, this was God's bigger plan and a life for a life. So devastatingly and tragically beautiful. And I just, that very much upset me because again, I know people mean well, and maybe, maybe there's people out there who believe that this is you know, a life for a life and blah, 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 blah. And this exchange, I just was like, we cannot have Davy at the time I had just found out I was having a girl. I didn't share that part, but she cannot grow up thinking that she's the reason that her dad died. If you say a life for a life, are, are you kidding me? And so I, I don't know. I just, it was, it was so hard to read some of those comments. All right. I just got it opened up again to find some of the some of the good things that you could say. <laughs> Actually, I'm really... Okay, Liz, you're an inspiration with a strong faith. Blessings to you and your daughter and the upcoming bundle. That's a good one. God is good. Ooh, God is good. That one was hard to read. I'm like, mm, well, right now I'm feeling like God killed my husband, so I don't want to hear about God being good. And I know people mean well, but in a moment like this, and again, I don't know what, there is no rule book. What are people to say? Um, you know, a lot of people wrote goosebumps. Truly bittersweet. 
we can't understand the plan, but this baby will be loved and in good hands. Sending love. This baby is a blessing. Okay, like those things, yeah. But like I said, I just did not want Davy growing up thinking that this is why Josh died. And at that moment, that's all I could think about. Someday she'll know her story, but I don't want her story to be connected to her dad's death. Like the truth is, it's always going to be. There's nothing I can do about that, but I can set the narrative. I can be the one to say, hey, this really crappy thing happened to us, but we got through it and I'll never forget. So my best friend is also a widow. She doesn't know this, but I want to have her on the podcast. We'll see if she'll do it. But I just remember asking her like, how are you so strong? How are you so strong? And this was five years before my husband died and her baby was um, seven months old when her husband died. And so she's, you know, she's got like a one-year-old at this point or something. And she looks at me and she goes, someday I want to tell her the story of how we got through this. And if we don't get through this, I can't tell her the story. So that's what, that's what I'm doing is I'm getting through this. I have to get through this in order to teach her about how we got through this. And I was like, okay. And again, that, that is a whole, a whole level of mentorship that neither of us ever should have had to experience, but here we are. And I'm appreciative for her insight. I'm not glad that, you know, I, I wish that we didn't have this connection or this bond, but the truth is, you know, this pregnancy and Davy, she kept me going. She gave me something to focus on. You know, my, my daughters now are five and Davy's one and a half now, and there isn't a favorite. There isn't a difference, you know, and people don't treat them differently. I, I thought that there'd be this weird distinction of like, well, this one met Josh and this one didn't, but it's, it's truly nature and nurture and they're here. And I, I don't know, they're, it, it's life. It's the cards we were dealt. I try really hard to dress her in some clothes that I know Vi wore in pictures with Josh. And then I try to snap them so that when someday when she's older, I can at least show her the picture of, okay, there's Vi wearing her Def Leppard sweatshirt. And Davey, here's you wearing your Def Leppard sweatshirt, the same sweatshirt. And yeah, you don't have any pictures with your dad, but that's the same shirt. I don't know. That's literally as close as we can get. And then just tell her stories and teach her and surround her with, you know, the people that were most important to Josh and teach her about him. And Vi too. I mean, she was three when he died. So they both need those lessons. But yeah, I just, I wanted to share those insights or this story just, just to kind of say, I know that my journey of infertility is unique. Everyone's is. I never went through IVF. I don't know that we would have done IVF. Honestly, we already had one kid. I don't know that we would have done it. It doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter whether or not we would have because I don't think about it. But I think that, you know, if you can take one thing away from this, it's just knowing sometimes those openly congratulations or assuming that I was extremely happy or I think it just really did not match how I was feeling. And that's what was hurtful to me. I was just over three months pregnant and Josh had died two months before and, you know, eight weeks after he died. And, you know, all of a sudden people are just focusing on the baby and it's not like they forgot about it with Josh and it's not like they, you know, but they just, it was just hard. And that was when I first learned what bittersweet was just these conflicting emotions and you know you hear about these stories where someone's pregnant with twins and one of them passes away or you know when people talk about their rainbow baby and 
you know, one child dies or they have a miscarriage or something. And then the next pregnancy after that, all of these things can be so complex. And so, you know, if you're a friend and they're trying to confide in you about this, you know, just understanding like, well, yeah, but shouldn't you focus on the, on the positive and be happy for what you have? And it's like, it's not that easy. You can't just shut it off. So we will dig much deeper into all of this. Again, these first few episodes, I really just kind of have to tell the story, I guess, in order for you to understand where things are at. And then again, I have a lot of really good ideas for podcast topics to talk about. It's not always going to be just me storytelling. I have a lot of ideas for, you know, just specific examples of how to support someone when they're grieving or, hey, this is what those first couple of weeks look like after their spouse dies. And this is actually what they're doing. And just again, because from understanding comes empathy and you know, knowledge helps us all be kinder humans. So thanks again for blooming and growing with me on the Sunny Mary Metal podcast. Again, episodes every Wednesday on flower farming and most Sundays on blooming and growing through grief. You can find me on Instagram at both at bloomandgrow.llc and at Sunny Mary Meadow. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, you can send them to me to podcast at sunnymarymeadow.com. I would love to hear back from you. If you like what you're hearing, please, please subscribe, rate us, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your information from. Thank you.